For the last several weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean to pair the issues that are stubborn thorns with the reality of God's sufficient grace. And so we've covered several topics the last few weeks, and I've chosen the topic need for approval. And I chose that topic because I struggle with that. I've struggled with that in my past and still at times struggle with that. Well, it's our goal to get you out of here by seven o'clock and you know what it means when the preacher puts his watch on the pulpit, right? <laughs> Absolutely nothing, you're right, <laughs> you do know. <laughs> That's great, so you won't be disappointed. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, in the early 1980s, I had the honor of going to Word of Life Bible School. It is in upstate New York, in Scroon Lake, New York. It was the first time I ever left Alexandria, Virginia, where I grew up, and I was excited about this Bible school experience. And when I got there, it wasn't long until I realized that most of the students referred to the institute as the B.I., Bible Institute. But they didn't um, call it a Bible Institute. They called it the Bridal Institute uh, because it was a place where people got married. Uh, the second year program was called School of Youth Ministries. And I thought I would be a youth pastor until I found out what they did. <laughs> and I decided, mm, no, I'll do something else. But in, instead of School of Youth Ministry, we renamed it So You're Married. And so the theme of uh, the pressure of getting married was prevalent in that school. And I f wanted to be approved by my classmates. So there was a girl who was a student in that school and I proposed to her, not my wife, who's sitting, yeah, she's shaking her head, no. <laughs> she, look, I won't name the girl's name because I'm not allowed to use that name ever again. <laughs> um, but I had to, uh, I, I had to convince her to want to marry me. Uh, and I realized that if I, had I married her, the trajectory to ministry would have been hindered because she had different priorities. Um, I, I share that because many of us have the need for approval. And we do things, we reorder our lives in ways that can be harmful and, da and, and damaging. And God's grace speaks to that. I, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, you will not see the words need for approval. You're going to see other words that talk about putting off behavior. But what you will see is how God's grace speaks to that very need. Uh, how he refers his power, his tender and mighty power to our need. Colossians chapter 3, if you're using the pew, the Bible in the pew, is page 1834. 
Please follow along as I read. This is God's word. Please listen to him. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creation, uh, excuse me, creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. We're so grateful for your word, O oh God. Thank you for trusting us with your word. Now, reorder our thinking to trust you. Give us a thirst to hear from your word. Guard my lips and please allow me to be faithful to your text. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There are two things I want us to talk, uh, think about today, uh, this evening. One, it relates to, uh, as it relates to our stubborn thorn need for approval, I'm gonna challenge us to reorder our thinking. And then secondly, as it relates to uh, God's sufficient grace, recognize our position. So first, um, reorder your thinking. Verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. Listen to verse, verses 9 and 10 again. Since then, uh, you, uh, excuse me, I don't have it written down. In your Bibles, read verses 9 and 10 again. And as you read these verses, realize this. The need for approval does not mean this. It doesn't mean that we want to be approved by God or by each other when we do something well. It's not the fact that we delight when we get compliments, when we're, when we're uh, thanked for our um, Actions. That's not what this thorn speaks of. Actually, the Bible tells us that we ought to compliment each other. We ought to build each other up. It is part of the joys of being believers. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.11, uh, where God says um, through Paul, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact you are doing. To build up means to... Uh, encourage and strengthen the people of God. Uh, when, when someone does something that, that uh, blesses you and, 
encourages you, tell them. Uh, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not feeding their ego. I'll give you a little secret. Whether you give them compliments or not, we're going to be arrogant, ego, e egotistic people anyway. You're not going to stop us from being arrogant. But you're going to encourage us. You're going to build us up in the faith. You have that opportunity. The need for approval is, is not talking about that. This is the need for approval refers to that need of approval from others so that I can have self-worth or value or I can have a sense that I belong. I can have self-worth or value or I can have a sense that I belong. I looked up in psychology today and looked at the seven signs of um, people who, are, who have the need for approval gene. And these are the seven signs. Number one, you always say yes to people. When people ask you to do something, you're always saying yes, 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 even though you know you can't do it. Secondly, you change your opinion based on who you're with. Thirdly, you're behaving in a way that's contrary to your belief uh, in order to fit in. Fourthly, you pretend, oh, I used to do this so much, pretending to know what the other person is talking about. Have you ever done that? <laughs> Somebody's talking to you and you're nodding your head. I know exactly what you mean until they ask you a question, a clarifying question, and then you're caught. Uh, fifthly, making a world tragedy all about yourself or the concerns of others all about you. When someone comes to you and they say that uh, I, I just lost my best friend. Oh, I got to tell you, when I lost mine, whoa, how hard that was. That could be an indication that we, are, we have a need for approval. Two more. <clears throat> Gossiping behind people's backs. And then lastly, fishing for compliments or attention. Those are warning signs according to psychology today. I've asked some of our, my friends here, what are some of the signs that we've noticed in our church? And here's what I've heard. Some of us will fit in by um, having a ton of friendships. Popularity is important to us. Being considered physically attractive. Speaking of a physically attractive person, that's a burden as well. Oh, come on, you're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Being considered physically attractive. Having a great GPA. Um, being able to make people laugh or proving excellence at different sports, hobbies, or interests. We struggle with that here in our church. Sometimes we struggle with this. It's the performance of our children. Whether they are academically excellent, socially admired, behaviorally, oh, we can't let our children misbehave in church. Can we? We can't let people see who they really are. 
uh, sometimes some of us, some of our, um, the women, especially in our church, struggle with performance at home and at work. Struggle with can they keep it all together? Should they work or should they not work? It goes on and on, doesn't it? I, I want you to, for a moment, think. It, not all of us have this need for approval, but if you do, if you have this need for approval, identify it in your mind. Don't say it out loud, but identify it. Think about what that is, because I'm going to ask you to do something with that in a moment. And when you have it, I want you to reorder your thinking. Because if need for approval says to us, I have to do something in order to be approved, or I'm looking to you so that you can tell me that I'm approved. And I want us to spend the rest of this evening in God's word, and I, and I hope to demonstrate to you that as a believer, you're already approved by God. You, you can still want to be, if you'd like, to be approved by other people in our church. That's up to you. But I want you to know that you're, you can forfeit the blessing and grace that's yours when you don't rest in the fact that you're already approved. It took me 40 years, maybe 35 to 40 years, to rest in the fact that I'm improved by God. That's a long time of wrestling. Look in your scriptures, if you will, so that we can recognize our position in Christ. Notice with me again uh, the first part of verse number one. There are five realities that describe God's incredible grace applied to the believer that fights against this need for approval. Look at first, verse one, the first part. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. So here's the first uh, part of God's incredible grace. Christ's resurrection. Christ's resurrection. The fact that Christ has risen from the dead. The fact that by God's incredible power, he took Christ from the grave into life again uh, should encourage you, and here's why. Because it's not just that Christ was risen from the dead. Listen to what Paul said in chapter 2 of Colossians. This is uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Listen to what he said. He said, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him up from the dead. Did you catch what uh, Paul is saying here? He said, you are raised with Christ. His resurrection is your resurrection. And he's saying something more than that. What he's saying is this. The power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. That self-same power. Now, I suggest to you that when we say to God... <clears throat> This struggle is too 
difficult. It's too deeply rooted in who I am as a, as a man or as a woman. I can't help but think this way. When we say things like that, I'm suggesting we're not recognizing the power of God already at work within us. Because the same God that said earlier in Scripture, let there be light. And there is light. Let the earth produce vegetation. Vegetation. That's some power. Rolling up his sleeves and kneeling down in the dirt and making a man, blowing on him the breath of life. And here's Adam. That's power. That's power. Please do not tell me that God is powerful enough to do that but lacks the power to convince you that his word trumps your thinking and your feeling. The resurrection of Christ, the power that God raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. Paul goes on and he says this later on in Colossians chapter 2, Verse 18, um, let no one cheat you of your reward. Now, uh, Colossians chapter 2, Paul spends a whole lot of time talking about um, being free from legalism. That's what he's talking about in, in chapter 2. And, and he's saying, don't, don't strangle yourself with this legalistic lifestyle. Don't cheat yourself for the reward that's already yours. And so I say to you, using Paul's words, don't cheat yourself in your striving for approval by neglecting to acknowledge who you already are in Jesus Christ. Let the resurrection of Christ Encourage you. That's not all. Look at the latter part of verse 1. We've also, we've already talked about being raised with Christ. Now it says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now I want to talk about the exaltation of Christ. Why is that important? Well, uh, Paul, when he said we have been buried with Christ and raised with Christ, we're also seated with Christ. Um, Tell me if this seems, sounds familiar to you. Do you know anybody who, um, at times, will connect themselves with famous people in order to make themselves seem more important? So let me give you an example. I, I know Brian Chappell. Dr. Chappell is our state clerk pro tem. Lisa and I are close to his uh, assistant, uh, excuse me, administrative assistant. We have a whole lot of time with her, and I completely forgot her name. <laughs> Say that again. Karen. Karen, thank you. See, we know her, we know her so well. <laughs> I, I, know, uh, I, I can, when Dr. Uh, Chapel was here um, preaching, he saw me 
in the congregation, and he said, hi, Ken, you're my favorite Presbyterian. Didn't you hear that? Oh, you didn't hear that? But he recognized me. Now, I'm obviously dropping his name now, but only as an example. I, I could let people think that I'm a mover and shaker in our denomination because Brian knows me. We go, I call him Brian. He knows me. When what's actually happening is he recognizes me because we've worked together. That's it. But I can go around saying, oh, the last time I was with Dr. Chapel, oh, you know who he is, don't you? He complimented me in my work. I'm trying to boister your opinion of me based on um, my association with him. Now, this is where, in my mind, that's so ridiculous. I am associated with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm associated with the one who is seated in glory right now. That's impressive. That's the one thing that snapped me out of my fog for 40, 35, 40 years. I'm a preacher, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lessen that to make you think I was not that sinful. For 20 years, <laughs> that fog, realizing that I was associated with someone who's far more significant than any human being. And I'm not the only one. We all are. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, this reality is yours as well. Okay, let's move on. There's three more. <laughs> this is great. Look at verse 3. <laughs> this is great. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Um, have you ever hidden something and forgotten where you put it? You put it away, maybe it was a present, you said, I'm gonna, this time they're not gonna find it. And so you got a great hiding place. But then when it was time for you to bring it out, you go, where in the world did I put that? That's not what this is talking about. It's not saying we're, we're, we're put on a shelf somewhere, somewhere waiting to be acknowledged. What this says is that we are kept for a special purpose. We're hidden in Christ and protected for a special purpose. He has high regard for us. That's what this is saying. Our lives matter to him. We are not numbers. Is Shannon here tonight? You know who you are. Are you here tonight? Good, I can talk about her. And she didn't raise her hand. There's a lady here named Shannon in our church, and she introduced herself to me. And, and I said, what's your name again? I, I struggle with names. What's your name again? And she said, Shannon. And I went, oh, I have a sister-in-law whose name is Shannon. I'll remember that. I'll not forget that. And outside this morning, she said to me, hi, you remember my name, don't you? I have the name of your sister-in-law. And I said, Colleen, because that's my other sister-in-law. And she said, Shannon. 
Well, she was gracious. She knows that I have that deficit. She's gracious. Um, but do you ever think that God doesn't know who you are? Uh, even worse, do you ever think that God doesn't value you as a person? Paul is telling us our very lives, our very existence, we're hidden. We're hidden with Christ in God. It doesn't get better than that. Except, look at verse 10. Paul says, And I put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of his creation, creator. And I, I, I want you to um, go with me back in your mind, back to the book of Genesis, because I, I believe that's where Paul is taking us here in mentioning um, being in the image of our creator. What he's, what he's doing, he's referring back to that section of Genesis where, we, uh, where God's word says that we were created in the image and likeness of God. In the image and likeness of God. The Hebrew word image is salem, image, and it means shade or shadow. Likeness is demut, which means likeness or similitude. And these two words together, this is incredible. These two words together, according to um, one scholar, uh, indicates crown, uniqueness, and authentic humanity. Now let me explain that. First crown, when you look at the sequence of creation, uh, the days of creation, the first six, six days of creation, there's a building up, and it culminates in the creation of man. So man and woman, when I say man, we are both the crown of creation. We are the pinnacle of creation uh, because we have the image of God. Secondly, it's unique. No other created being has God's image. We're different from animals. We're different from plant life. We have the image of God in the likeness of God. And then lastly, it defines who we are as human beings. We have intelligence. We have creativity. We have the sen a sense of wonder and amazement. Uh, we, we, can, we can have joy and sadness. We are made in the image of God who we are, are, is wrapped up in who he is. He's not like us. We are like him. And because of that, God's stamp of approval was placed on us before we did anything at all. Did you get that? has nothing to do with what we offer. It has nothing to do with what we bring to God. It is who we are in Christ and who we are as human beings. Now, the last one, the last one, look at uh, verse 11. Now, I'm going to read verse 11, but I'm also going to read a parallel text from Galatians chapter 3 because Paul says this two times in the New Testament. So listen to 
what he says in um, Colossians 3, verse 11. Here there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now listen, if you will, to Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, he adds here, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. So this is what God is not saying. He's not saying that he doesn't see us as male and female. He doesn't see us as Greek or barbarian. When he looks at us, he doesn't see that. He's not saying that. What he's saying is our value is not in our ethnicity, is not in our sex, is not in our economic condition. Our value is in Christ. How do I know that? Not only does it say it here, but listen to what God says to John in Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked, and there before me, this is John, he's, he's viewing this in heaven. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne in front of the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice, listen, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb in Swahili and English and Spanish and Russian and Hebrew. And it goes on and on and on saying the same thing. And together they made a mosaic of grace in God's incredible eyes. And so what this tells us is this. We have value as a body. Don't cheat yourself and listen to one or two or three people's opinion on who you should be. Take joy in who you are. In Christ. This is not um, what one writer has made famous. I wrote his name down and forgot him already. Dr. Anthony somebody. You're okay, I, I'm okay. Dr. Thomas Harris, his old axiom. Uh, you're okay, I'm okay. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear that. I'm not saying you can do whatever you want and you're okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. You are approved because you are in Christ. Don't go looking for it elsewhere. Because when you do, you cheat yourself. Now we're going to close. I can't believe God has given us um, an amazing musical team. I can't believe we're going to sing this song. This is great. We're going to sing, I am bound, I am bound for the promised land. And when we sing this, <clears throat> please sing this not as a song, but as a response to what 
you've been reminded of. Let this be our confession of faith, our celebration of God's faithfulness as we sing this song, I am bound for the promised land. Because who we are in Christ, you guys are starting already, aren't you? Who, who we are in Christ informs not only who we are here, my total being, but it informs my future as well. I am nothing like what God's going to make me when he comes again. I'm moving toward that, but as good as it is here, it can't be compared. So I am bound. We are bound. We are bound for the promised land. Let's stand. Let me pray, and we'll celebrate together. Almighty God and loving Father, let us find joy in your word where you said in Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you to me with loving kindness. And because we are yours, we now say to you, amen.